Welcome to episode one of Stick to Syracuse, a podcast that explores the question, what makes Syracuse, Syracuse? I'm Brent Dax from Syracuse.com. We thank you for coming by. Now, there's lots of ways to listen to this podcast. You can find us on SoundCloud. There is a link right on Syracuse.com. Maybe you got here via social media. Or please subscribe in iTunes so you can have new episodes delivered right to where you listen to your podcasts. New episodes of Stick to Syracuse come out every Monday. We've got a great first show lined up for you. I figured if we're doing a podcast about Syracuse, we might as well go right to the top. So, Syracuse Mayor Ben Walsh will be our first guest today. We'll also chat with Bob Searing from the Onondaga Historical Association. Bob's going to join me about once a month on the show and tell us stuff that we need to know. I think when you learn about history, it pretty much goes two ways. It's an oh yeah, like I remember that, or an oh wow, like I don't remember that. So I'm looking forward to Bob giving us lots of both of those moments here on the podcast. And he's got some cool sports memories lined up for us today. This podcast was founded as the Syracuse Sports Podcast, so we're certainly not going to abandon our roots there. I'm really excited about this too. On every episode of Stick to Syracuse, we're going to bring you the sound scene. Kathleen Mason from K-Mace Productions will interview a local musician and what a variety of local musicians we have lined up for you to listen to during the sound scene. And our first guest today did our theme song, Just Joe, a terrific local musician who may be delivering a lovogram to you very soon. What does that mean? We'll discuss that more when Kathleen Mason talks with Just Joe. Speaking of Joe, he did this really cool theme song for us, so what do you say we listen to? Behind SU Sports, snowstorm weather we pose, stick to Syracuse today. Soft potatoes, high top dogs, dynasty barbecue all year long. Stick to Syracuse today. It's raining, it's snowing, it don't know where it's going. Stick to Syracuse today. Ladies and gentlemen, your host of Stick to Syracuse, Brett X. Confession. I had never walked through the doors of City Hall in downtown Syracuse until about two weeks ago when I went to interview Mayor Ben Walsh for this podcast. I didn't know what to expect opening that door on a frigid Syracuse morning, walking up the appropriately salty steps of City Hall. Would people be in there arguing over policy? Would there be a protest? Would there be a horde of media in there? Like you picture from those old time movies, Mayor Walsh, Mayor Walsh, what do you think about this? What I found was nothing. An empty hallway. Just me and a security guard. I went up to the door. I knocked on it. The security guard came out. And I said something that was pretty cool to say. <clears throat> uh, Brent Axe here to see the mayor. And she said, okay. And went back in and came back out and said, the mayor's not back yet, but he'll be soon. Please have a seat over there. So it was just me in a big hallway waiting for the mayor. Shortly after, Mayor Walsh came in and greeted me himself and apologized for being a little bit late. See, Syracuse City Schools had a two-hour delay that morning, and Mayor Walsh had to play Dad Walsh until getting to the office. Chris Baker, my colleague from Syracuse.com, on Mayor Walsh's first year in office. You know, he spent most of the first year getting things in order, kind of prepping for the next three or more likely next seven years, building a team, getting new personnel, 
in key places, like a new fire chief, a new police chief was a big deal. And, and a few other things, like he passed the sidewalk uh, shoveling plan, which was you know a really big thing, resolved some union contracts, and just got some stuff out of the way. It seems like setting the stage for, for what's next. Information gathering. He's, he's the kind of guy who wants to have as much information as possible in order to make a good decision, and to that end has you know, really focused on how do we get that information? Because you can't make a good decision if you don't know what you're doing. So they've really focused on collecting data, how to organize data, how to use data, um, you know, which is kind of the modern trend in in city government. So he came into his office, and after I took a couple of shots on the basketball hoop he's got set up for his kids in there, we had this conversation. So how's the gig? Love my job. My People ask me all the time, and uh, I was pretty sure I was going to love it, and from the moment I stepped into this office, um, it's been incredible. And uh, yeah, I, I can't. I, I look forward to, to to keeping it going. I have a very important question for you. Where are the giant scissors? <clears throat> you know, we do you uh, have those like I, when you go to the community events? I don't know. It's it's funny you ask because we had some scissor mishaps early on in the administration. Oh, call them rookie mistakes, but uh, but. Uh, there, there was a couple ribbon cuttings where I, I didn't get it on the first try, and oh. um, that wasn't a good look for me. So it's it's been an ongoing conversation here. I, I don't think I've seen our own brand-new set yet, but it's on, it's on our list. It's one of those things maybe you didn't think to practice. Easier right? said than done, Brent, until, yeah. you've, until you've tried, and maybe you have. Uh, yeah, you need a good pair of scissors. I've been to okay. some ribbon cuttings. I've never actually done it. Okay. So if you need to call me out of the bullpen, I'd okay. be happy to help right. out. Good, you thank know. you. So next time you do it, I'll, I'm really going to be watching closely. Uh, I'm sorry I brought it, it down? up. Uh, well, again, depends on the scissors. So okay. as long as I have the right tools for the job. What is something that, I mean, you, you prepare, you, you, you campaign, you're, you, you want to do this job. Yeah. But now that you've been on the job for a while, what is something that has come across your desk in a, in a private moment? <clears> you've been <throat> like, oh, I do that? Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, I didn't know that was something I handled. I think... I think one of my biggest failings in my first year was uh, I, I did not fully understand and appreciate the number of uh, board appointments that I have as mayor. And you would think that that's a, uh, that's a nice problem to have. You can make sure that you have the right people representing the administration and the city. But there are so many, uh, it's, it's almost impossible to keep up with. I'm, uh, I actually have a meeting later today uh, to, try to, to try to focus on it. But um, Again, a good problem to have, but uh, uh, I, I definitely room for improvement there. Okay, so let's go the other way. What was something that you thought about, you were prepared for, and, and feel at, to this moment that we're talking confident that you're handling as mayor? You know, I, I came into this having a pretty good sense of what I was walking into. I worked for Mayor Minor for six years, and... Um, you know, it, it, it's been pretty much what I expected. It's been hard, but again, as I started with, it's been uh, it's been an amazing experience. So, uh, again, I'm my own biggest critic. So there's plenty of areas where I feel like I need to improve in. But I think I think we hit the ground running, and I think we're um, we're managing things well over here. I was Mayor Minor. Uh, you know, I haven't I haven't really been in touch with her lately. We had a, a great transition, and she was a she was a very good boss to me. So uh, she passed the baton, and then uh, and then she went and did her own thing. And you know, as I think about 
the way I would like to, I think uh, it's a good model for when I pass the baton. You know, it's um, it's nice to not have somebody looking over your shoulder and second-guessing your decisions. So I, I appreciate how she handled that. How did she pass the baton? What were those conversations? Like you mentioned you had worked for her right. for a while, but, you know, it's like, okay, you're in the hot seat now. What was the best piece of advice she gave you? Well, she... Um, I'm trying to think if there's any one thing you know, we we sat down and and we talked and yeah there was there wasn't any one thing it was just you know she identified a few uh, a few issues that were unresolved uh, as as she walked out the door that that needed some attention um, she uh, shared her opinion on some of the uh, department heads and employees that she she thought would serve serve me and the city well. Um, so no, no one thing stands out. But again, she was she was there. Um, I'll tell you that the one thing that uh, that she did that I really appreciated. Um, she asked uh, one of my former uh, colleagues, Andrew Maxwell, um, to essentially prepare a transition report. So he worked with all the department heads. Uh, they they pulled together information that they thought it was important for me to know. He pulled it all together and delivered that to me. And to have that uh, document to be able to 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 sink my teeth into to absorb and to help me prepare was uh, uh, was a real real value what's the hardest part of this job well the the, the part that I've taken the hardest that's that's impacted me the most personally has been the the violence in the community you know sadly I think that sometimes as a as a regular you know, constituents, civilians, if you will, we we almost become desensitized to it. I, I was always bothered by by seeing uh, stories about um, violence and um, and homicides, but when you're in this seat, um, it becomes much more personal. And you know, I pride myself on being someone uh, that can come in, identify a problem, and fix it. And, uh, and and the violence that plagues not just our city or our community, but plagues so many communities across the world uh, is not easily solvable and that's that's frustrating and um and and i've taken that really hard when it's a new year and we're a month into the new year believe it or not february's here already but you're still kind of thinking about things you want to accomplish here in 2019 you brought that up at, at, at your address and you're kind of working on some issues but if you really could pick a few things or mm-hmm. you any number of things that by the time you know that ball drops, and we're in 2020. Mm-hmm. What do you want to accomplish here in 2019? So I, I looked at 2018 as really uh, an, an opportunity to, to focus on cleaning our own house, getting the right uh, systems uh, in place in city hall, in city government, that would position us to achieve our our vision. That was one of the first things we did. We established a vision for Syracuse to be a growing city that embraces diversity and creates opportunity for all. So for for me, 2018, a lot of that was just building that foundation. And what I, as I've gone into 2019, um, and I talked, I did talk about it at my State of the City. Um, uh, I'm really focused on growth. Uh, it's important that we continue to deliver the services that people pay taxes to receive, um, but but. Um, managing a city is, is more than just delivering services. It's in pe- uh, improving people's quality of life. And, and a significant way that we do that is by helping to create opportunity, job opportunity, economic opportunity. And so um, you know, that's a big part of our Syracuse Surge strategy is, is now um, uh, growing as a community. And I think we're well positioned to do so. Would you consider your door open to the community in a sense of, I'm curious, just like, okay, I got an idea for the mayor. Yeah. Like what's the process? There? Uh, so it's um, another thing that I've you know that's been uh, a challenge to to find the right balance. I've uh, uh, with I've 
I've always prided myself on being very accessible, uh, very hands-on, and I've tried to continue that as mayor. But um, but it's it's difficult, and there are, are, are a lot of um, a lot of uh, people and uh, and issues that require my my attention. So. When I run into people on the street and they tell me they have an idea, I tell them to reach out to my office and, and ask for a meeting. And more often than not, I will I will try to find the time personally to to uh, to engage with that person, even if it's for a little bit of time. Um, but then uh, usually quickly identify the right person on my team to get them connected to that can uh, help them work through those those ideas. So. Yes, my door is open. Uh, if, if people are interested in, in having a conversation with me, they can call my office. Um, they can ask me to call them back. They can ask for a meeting. And, and again, even if I can't sit with you for, for a half an hour or an hour, um, uh, chances are I'll be able to, um, um, to to stop in, say hello, again, understand what the issue is, and, and point you in the right direction. So on that note, and you're always getting feedback from the community on a number of things, I would imagine, you know, be it, you know, uh, in media and, and while you're walking down the street, you know, wherever you go. And on that point, you know, is there a moment, like, are you always on as the mayor? Can you turn it off? Can you just, like, call the deputy mayor and be like, can you handle this for a couple hours? I want to go watch some Netflix or um, something. Like, you have to always be on. Yeah. I can relate in a small way. But, uh-huh. like, when I go to Wegmans, right. it's coming. Why yeah. is Jim Beheim not playing man-to-man defense? Right. And people always want to talk sports. Right. And I love to do that. Yeah. You know, but it's like, okay, i, I got to get some avocados right. here. Yeah. You know? So there's got to be a moment where you're just like, i got to get away from this. Yeah, you know, it's um, – my wife, Lindsay, and I work real hard to, to find that balance. But to your point, there, there is no time when I'm not mayor. And, I, and I, you know, I, um, I embrace that. That's why I, I signed up for this job because even when I wasn't, I was always thinking about different ways to help the community um, improve the way things are done. So um, I, I have my uh, – I, I make sure I carve out my personal time, whether it is with Lindsay or with our girls, uh, whether it is to go to Wegmans. And you're right, uh, my Wegmans trips have gotten a lot – Taking a lot longer than they used to, uh, but again, that's that's part of the that that's part of why I love this job. I lo- but th- I love it too. Yeah, you know, just there's something about that that somebody has you know the for lack of a better term they have the guts to come up to you and say something. Right. It's easy to leave a digital comment. It's easy. Absolutely. Like even calling a radio show. Sure. Like people can call in and just disguise their voice, right. say their names, you know, anything they want to be, and right. kind of get that opinion out there. But when you have that personal interaction with people, I think it settles in more. So, it does. Maybe it's something you already brought up, but what's something in those conversations mm-hmm. that really moved you, really impacted you to, to to act on something that you can think of? Boy, it, um, I'm having trouble calling on a, a, a specific conversation or a specific moment, but but it is those times when you know it's one thing for somebody to say, "Hey, I have a pothole on my street," or um, Know, could you could you plow my street better? And I, I hear those things a lot, and, and I and I follow through on them. Um, but but when I have people that come up and talk about um, something uh, that's that's um, difficult in their life, uh, maybe uh, their their child is going through some issues at, at home, or, or and you know, um, uh, or is getting into trouble, or uh, somebody you know uh, has a has a problem with their landlord, or their utilities are being shut off. I mean, things that really impact people's lives uh, and they and to your point you know to be able to c- come up to me at uh, at Wegmans and 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 pour their heart out to me and that can't be easy but for me that's um, you know those are the moments where I'm, I'm glad that I'm th- uh, that I'm there and 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 I'm in a position where hopefully I can help people so um, those opportunities have definitely come along and I always try to help so we're talking here on a Friday uh, just after you had a big event with the county executive yeah 
and there were a lot of issues that came up that you guys seem to be in lockstep on. Mm -hmm. which it, it, that's We're off to a good start. I there, think so, right? yeah. Because that's not always the case, yeah. that the county executive and the mayor right. you know, see eye to eye. Certainly there's, there's things you're going to disagree on. Right. So let's get into a couple of those issues, okay? It seems like the one where there's a little disagreement, and everybody's got an opinion on mm -hmm. this, so i got to get your opinion mm -hmm. on it. You seem to be in favor of the community grid I am. for 81. Yeah. This, to me, is fascinating, that a highway mm -hmm. can determine like how this city functions. Yeah. It can literally draw a line right. between one community or the other, yeah. and everybody seems to agree on, we can't screw this up, right? but we got to figure out the way not to do that. Yeah. So. You know, what's been your process in, in looking at this, listening to people, looking at it? Because it's, it, it's go time. Like, we've talked about this forever, but <laughs> yeah. now it's like we got to put some, some shovels in the yeah. ground here. Well, one, one thing that Ryan and I agree on is that um, is that, that the elevated viaduct should have never been built where it, uh, where it is to begin with. Uh, when you look at the history of the city of Syracuse, uh, the history of the 15th Ward, the community that was displaced uh, through the construction of, of the 81 Viaduct and other urban renewal uh, development, um, that was, um, you know, that, that's a scar uh, on, on our community. And, and, it, and it's important to, to note that it did disproportionately impact um, uh, communities of color. Uh, our, our historic African-American uh, neighborhood uh, was was located there as well as our, our Jewish community and you know as is often the case um, uh, those are those are the communities that are um, that are impacted uh, the most uh, by, by decisions like this so I think the fact that there's a common understanding uh, certainly with Ryan and myself but I think throughout most of the community that it was n not done the right way the first time is important um, and something that we can build off of uh, as it relates to what what happens uh, going forward you know, it is worth noting that I represent the city of Syracuse. Ryan represents Onondaga County. And so we do have different constituencies and different people that we represent. Ryan, of course, does represent uh, everyone in the city of Syracuse as well. Um, but, um, you know, I, I've spent a lot of time talking with, with, my, with my constituents, um, hearing uh, their uh uh, their priorities and, and how they feel about this, but for me, ultimately, it comes down to the comes down to the process. So we know that the we know that the elevated viaduct has come to the end of its useful life. We know that maintaining the status quo for those that say, "Well, just leave it alone or, or rebuild it the way it is now," that's not an option. The State Department of Transportation, who oversees this process, has said that is not an option. So uh, we have to look at what the actual options are. Again, State DOT has been. Um, involved in a process for you know almost 10 years now um, uh, and, and uh, really we're faced with at this point three options uh, one is continuing an elevated viaduct through the city but again that doesn't mean leaving it the way it is it means making it higher and wider and when you look at back at what we all agree on was the problem with the first time around um, uh, when it becomes higher and wider, that means more p properties are going to be de demolished. It means more people are going to be displaced. And from the city's perspective, it means more properties are going to come off the tax rolls. Um, that's a big that's a big deal for us. Um, when you look at uh, and so for for those reasons and more, that's that's not an option that I think is a good one. Uh, when you look at what's been some people try to describe as a hybrid or compromise option, that being the tunnel, um, setting aside the cost, which we is substantially higher, um, 
you know, a tunnel you have to get in and out of. And if it's a deep tunnel, that means you're going to have to have a long ramp going in and a long ramp going out, which means it is going to disrupt what's happening on the surface. It is going to um, be an impediment to east-west traffic through the city, uh, not to mention um, the, the fact that they're going to have to um, vent air uh, that, that comes out of that tunnel. What does that look like? Where are those air vents? Uh, what communities are they impacting? Um, and then finally, so for, for those reasons, and again more, I, I don't think that that's the right option for us. And so what you're left with is what we've uh, described as the community grid option. Really what that, if you break that down, what it means is right now, uh, of all the traffic that's coming through that section of 81, and Brent, tell me if I'm going too, too long here because I'm passionate about this issue and there's a lot to talk about, but... Um, people uh, talk about the, the potential for Carmageddon, of all these cars dumping into the city, right? <laughs> but the reality is of all the traffic that goes through that one and a half mile stretch, 80% of it is already dumping into the city. Quote, I'm using hand quotes now. You can see them. Your listeners can't. But, I can confirm this. Um, so so um, that, that traffic is already coming into the city. 20% 20, 20 of that traffic is going through. It's just cutting through the city. So what we're proposing is that 20% simply be rerouted around on 481, which already exists, would require some improvements um, and also some some uh, uh, some uh, mitigation efforts to minimize the impact on the communities around 481 with sound attenuation. Now that there are ways to do that. So that 20% goes around. And the 80% that, again, is quote-unquote dumping in right now is dumping into a very inefficient bottleneck uh, of uh, of exits that through a community grid option would be uh, dispersed uh, much more uh, naturally over over more space through uh, an enhanced uh, community grid or, exi or or enhanced existing street grid. Um, so so to me, uh, it's in in when you're looking at the work that the Department of Transportation does, that the data suggests, the facts suggest that that is the most uh, that, that that's the best option. It also happens to be the least expensive option, uh, and it also happens to, to be the best option uh, for continuing uh, development and growth in our urban core uh, that builds on what we've seen happening in downtown and University Hill that allows us to uh, to better connect neighborhoods on the south side and the north side. And, and I think that what's important to note is it's not just what's best for the city of Syracuse. I truly believe that it's what's best for the region because if we want to grow, you know, the, the city and the urban core is the, is the heart of the region. And if that puts us in a position to be more competitive economically um, to help address poverty, that's good for everybody. Has the state basically said, we don't care, we'll pay for it, just let us know which one it is? Or do they have a preference? Does the governor have yeah. a preference? Like, What's their um, feedback considering the amount of money that you know obviously they're going to put into it? I'm glad you asked that. So where we are right now in the process, the next step that we've been waiting a long time for is the release. There is a formal legal process that the state has to take for any project like this. And the next step in the process is to release what's called a draft environmental impact statement that's going to look at all of the uh, impacts of the different options. It's, worth, it's important to note that the tunnel option was originally dismissed through the DOT's process, but frankly, due to political pressure from those that, that felt strongly that that was a potential compromise, it was reinserted back into the process, which caused some of the delay. So right now, we're all waiting on that, on that DEIS. That is going to help the state to prioritize what they believe to be the, the best option. Um, cost is a consideration. It's not the only one. Uh, under... The, the way things typically work, a significant portion of that cost, upwards of 80% of that cost, would be covered by the uh, the federal government. Um, so the Federal Highway Administration is also going to have some say into what happens. Um, so 
all the more reason, again, as much as we all get emotionally connected to this issue and there's there's politics at play, the most important thing is to allow that process to go forward so we have all the facts. Uh, and, and again, up to this point, um, based on all the facts that are available to us, I believe strongly that the community grid option is what's best for the entire region. It's going to be fascinating to see how that goes forward. For it sure, is. I appreciate all, all your uh, information on sure. that. Uh, another thing that you and, and Ryan discussed at, at that event, and it was it made official, you guys signed the tax deal. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to have a tax deal in place, to have an agreement, to have, you know, two people and, and two entities coming together in, in the sense of the county and the city, to have something like this in place until 2030. Yeah. I'm just going to say it as simple as I can. That sounds like a pretty big deal. It is a big deal. So, yes. Uh, sales tax is the largest uh, source of revenue that we have um, in, in the city of Syracuse government. So it's critically important to us. And I mentioned the vision that we established. We also established four objectives uh, that, that guide our work. And our first objective is to achieve fiscal sustainability. And there is no more significant way uh, to, to, um, to move towards fiscal sustainability than to essentially lock in your largest source of revenue. Uh, so for us, you know, we, we had what, uh, what by most accounts was a good deal in place that was struck in 2010 by Mayor Miner and, and County Executive Mahoney and their respective legislative bodies. Ryan and I uh, had had the benefit of being around back uh, when that deal, deal was struck. And actually, we were in the, spent time in the same room, uh, which was um, here in City Hall when Ryan was on the Common Council. And so we were, uh, you know, we were... We were on the same team, if you will, then, and, and, and I think I learned a lot from that process. So uh, we, we felt that it was a good deal then. Uh, the more we talked about it uh, now, we, we came to the conclusion that it was the right, it was, it was still a good deal now. And, uh, and frankly, given the relationship that the two of us had um, and, that, uh, and that we have with our respective legislative bodies, the Common Council and the County Legislature, we saw a window of opportunity granted before, you know, a couple of years before the, the deal was, uh, um, uh, uh, we were at the end of the deal, um, and, and we said, you know what, it's the, it's the right time, so let's let's move forward with it. And, um, you know, the, uh, the those deals don't always, you know, those windows don't always stay open. So, oh, it's a, it's a really big deal for the city. It's a big deal for the county, and, it, and, and to, to have that behind us gives us more time to focus on the other many challenges and opportunities we have in the community. By the way, the second biggest source of revenue is your kids go door-to-door and sell candy bars. So <laughs> well, when they show up, we, please buy one. We haven't had to resort to that yet, but uh, <laughs> but thanks for planting that seed. Hey, there you go. Just an idea. Just Good. thinking about it. It seems to work for my daughter when Appreciate she's got to raise money. As we sit here today, it's like 10 degrees outside. Right. And ironically, the forecast is going to get a little warmer for the next few days. We're going to be up near 50 degrees, which given recent times sounds like 90. That sounds good. I'll take it. Yeah. But we know it's winter and it's it's going to dip back right. down. But that's been a, uh, no pun intended, hot source of conversation yeah. in a way. Clearing up snow, plowing in the city, uh, even plowing the sidewalks. Yeah. That's That's been quite a process. But do you feel like, you, you know, you've got a plan in place that you feel comfortable. I think we've made significant progress over the past year when it comes to how we handle snow in our city. Uh, as a constituent, I felt um, that that our snow removal efforts specific to plowing the streets uh, was not as good as uh, it, it used to be. And so we've spent the, la- the past year really focusing on improving it. I think we made some good, we made some strides uh, last winter. Um, then we had a, a, a false start uh, back in November when we didn't have a, our fleet uh, 
quite ready for the first snowfall, and, and I felt like we took a took a step back. Uh, but that really uh, got us all focused on, on, on improving it, and I think every snowfall since then we've gotten better, and, and the, the feedback that we've received from the community uh, has reflected that. Um, on top of that, we I had also felt strongly and heard strongly from the community that we, we the way in which we handle snow removal uh, on our sidewalks, which is the way many of our citizens get around, um, wasn't working, isn't working, uh, putting the responsibility solely on property owners. So we decided this year to, as a pilot project, to, to start doing some limited municipal snow clearance on our sidewalks. Um, it was hard. Uh, we, we almost didn't get there, but we, we thanks again to the support of the council, we have a, an agreement in place. We've had our sidewalk snow plows out uh, for the past week, and we've gotten a lot of great feedback, and it really does my heart good to see when I'm driving down South Geta Street to see a plow come down and then see people that don't feel the need to walk in the street you know, with their strollers. Um, it's, it's safer, it's more equitable, and uh, I think we're making good progress. There's a lot that you can do, and you feel good about that progress, but, you know, in a way, doesn't it come down to, you know, that's that's – you know, neighbors helping neighbors, you know, go help your neighbor, go shovel out right door. You know, like when we got a big snowstorm, there's only so much the plows can do and they do an amazing job in the city. And on that note, you posted a video right before one of those big storms that was coming recently. And there was a sign that said behind these doors, lie the greatest snow fighters in the world yeah. and i was like wow like isn't that you, cool you had to put like braveheart music behind that that was that gave me chills yeah. that was pretty cool it's like when you think about it yeah, yeah you're darn right they are they do an amazing job considering you know what we see here in syracuse yeah you know and i'm not sure when that sign went up at dpw it's been up for a while but what what really got me excited was i heard from some of the guys that you know they they walk through those doors every day but for a little for at times they weren't quite sure if they if they were living up to what was on that sign uh, or we collectively were and i heard a lot over the past couple snowstorms you know what it feels like the old days and the, the really the sense of pride uh and morale uh is up and that that feels good to me okay a couple more for you sure who is your favorite fictional mayor uh boy that's a great question um uh, I don't. I don't know what this says about me, but my mind immediately went to Mayor Quimby uh, yes, from The Simpsons. So that's mine. Um, yeah, so certainly not someone that I want to uh, uh, replicate. But um, <laughs> but but uh, Mayor Quimby he is seems quite to be a character. Kind of that that you know stereotype. Maybe, you <laughs> right. Know. Right. So I, my other two favorites are Mayor Goldie Wilson. Uh, good. Progress Back to the future. Name, yeah, I like that. And uh, the mayor from Ghostbusters. Lenny. Yeah, right. Lenny will have saved the lives of millions of registered voters. <laughs> That's a good one too. And there's I'll some, think of like there's 10 some good more ones out there. Yeah, there. right. But you go with those three, I think you're going you're going pretty good there. Nice. Final question for you. This is a question every guest on this uh, podcast, however long it lasts, okay. will be asked. Okay. What makes Syracuse Syracuse? I feel like it's this is a cliche answer, but I really do feel like it's the people. Um, there's just something unique and special about us Syracusans. It's you know the, um, the pardon the the pun, but a little bit of saltiness, uh, you know, a little bit of a self-imposed inferiority complex. But you know, we can make fun of ourselves, but don't you dare make fun of us if you're not one of us. Pete Davidson. Um, <coughs> yeah, no yeah. comment. Um, <laughs> But, uh, and also, again, you know, we're, we're out, uh, 
you just mentioned the temperature outside, and I'm looking out, and biz- life goes on. People uh, uh, people go about their lives. We have we're hardy souls. We do get out and help uh, you know shovel each other out. And there's just something really endearing about our people that makes us special. I literally have salt on my boots in your office. <laughs> you and me both. My Sorry friend. about that. I'll clean that. That's up okay. Later. Mayor Ben Walsh, thanks for sticking to Syracuse with us. Happy to do it. Hey, what do you say? Have a happy day because we're living in Syracuse. I don't know about you, but I'm a firm believer in the philosophy we don't know where we're going until we know where we've been. So I figured we should sprinkle a little history into this podcast, and I found the right guy to do it. He's Curator Bob on Twitter if you want to follow him. At the Onondaga Historical Association, I went over there. And what a hidden gem this place is, by the way. If you have not stopped by, I highly recommend you do. Bob showed me into his unbelievable office, which in and of itself is full of history. And we sat down for the first of what will be a monthly segment here on Stick to Syracuse, where Bob gives us some oh yeah or oh wow moments. You heard our theme song from Just Joe at the beginning. Bob and I tried to come up with a theme song for this segment, and well... Uh, before we go, I just you have a guitar. I do. Can you? Is this on display or is can? No, I know. I, I I'm a player. I'm doing this off the cuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm a player. What do you? You want to like? You want to give me like a theme song for you or something? Uh, like, give you got, a, you got like a? I don't. I you don't got have, like a riff you can play. Like, I don't. I don't have a theme song, but I can. I can do something quick. We're just kind of jamming right now. History with Bob. What do you think? Of that? I like it. History with Bob. That's good. Yeah, it needs work. But let's hear what Bob had to say about Syracuse history for February. So we're here in Bob's office, which, by the way, is fantastic. Thank you, sir. (laughs) (laughs) I could spend all day in here. There's just, everywhere I look, there's just stuff. And it just, it reminds you of the history of this city. It's incredible in here. Yeah, I, you know, people come in all the time and, and have that reaction, and, and they say, you know, I could get lost in here all day. So, well, luckily, they pay me to get lost in the stuff for the day. So, oh, I'm, cool. I'm like, the lucky one. You are the lucky yeah. one. Does anybody have to come in here and, like, rescue you sometimes? Sometimes. You're so, you're so indebted in what you're doing. Sometimes. Sometimes that has to happen. Sometimes my phone will be ringing and ringing and ringing with my wife. Where are you? Why aren't you home yet? I'll Where say, are you, Bob? I'm, I'm in the newspaper. It's, I'm in 1942. Exactly. It's 1905. <laughs> Didn't you know that? Exactly. Right. But, yeah, so. So, what Bob's going to do is, I kind of explained it. He's going to throw some stuff at me history-wise, and I'm going to react to it. And it's going to be a real test of what I and what I think the listener knows yeah. about the history of the city. Good stuff. So I'm going to turn the floor over to you, my friend. Throw yeah. some stuff at you. Excellent, Branson. So February, is it's, it's Black History Month yeah. here in the United States. And one of the things that um, we've been talking about internally at the OHA is trying to tell the story of Moses Fleetwood Walker who is, everybody knows, or sports people and non-sports people know, um, Jackie Robinson obviously integrated the major leagues um, in the 1940s. What a lot of people don't know is that, in fact, the major leagues had been integrated before that. Um, In the 1870s and 1880s, uh, African Americans played professional baseball um, in in American cities. And the last African American man to play professional baseball was Moses Fleetwood Walker, and he finished his career here in Syracuse, in fact. Great hitter, apparently. But he was actually, ended up being, he went on trial here in the city 
for murder. I'm what? Yes. But so he he was here, uh, 1889, he finished his career, and he's the last black man to play professional baseball um, until Robinson in 47. So it's an incredible story. Uh, but here, he, when he's in Syracuse, he ends up getting, like I said, wrongfully accused of, of murder. And he goes on trial and is ultimately acquitted in this sort of um, tabloid fury that engulfs the city uh, because he's such a well-known character. Um, and the story itself is going to probably, hopefully, be worked into a book project um, in conjunction with uh, with an author who uh, will remain nameless for now, but uh, an author Stay that tuned. a lot of people would know. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So I'm going to go with an oh, wow. All right, one. good I stuff. I had no idea. Certainly had heard about Jackie Robinson being here, unfortunately, as other stops that he had before going into the major leagues. wasn't treated very well right. at, at times, but it's just fascinating to hear about what African Americans in baseball had to go through just to play the game, just to just, play the just game, just to do what you know. Yeah, so many people were doing at the time, and you know, frankly, how much better baseball would have been had they been allowed to do it before Jackie exactly. Robinson. And that to hear that Jackie Robinson would be a hundred years old. I know. Wow, it's incredible. Incredible. All right, what else you got? For me? What else I got? So I, I'm a big junior. I'm a big New York Giants fan. Obviously, okay. it's, so we were thinking. I was actually mentioning this at staff meeting today because we were trying to figure out some posts going forward. And I said, any chance I get to rub it in Patriots fans' face? I said, so you know, I told John who does our social media posts. I said, look, we've got to get ready um, for the anniversary of the David Tyree catch. Yes. Because again, yes. David Tyree. A story that I tell to people from all over. Nobody remembers that he played for Syracuse, Syracuse University. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, that's one of my favorite things to dig on Tyree, the catch. And I'm glad you focused on David Tyree because it takes away attention from one of the other great Super Bowl moments, of course, when your Giants beat my Bills. And let's just not talk about that anymore. Wide right. You had to do it. I'm, I'm you, sorry. You had to I, say it. I, I can still remember, Brent, sitting in my parents' living room. I was I was 10 years old. I couldn't watch the kick. I had my head in my shirt, in my lap, and I heard my dad and my brothers start reacting. And I looked up, and 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 Parcells and, and LT were running on the field. I said, "This is unbelievable." But I missed the kick. I didn't see it. You didn't even I, see. I, it. I couldn't watch. Okay, I saw it then. And the only other time I've watched it because I flee from the television <laughs> when a replay comes on. But I did watch it when they did the thirty for thirty. On yes. The Buffalo Bills. I said, "I'm going to make myself relive this." You poor guy. Yeah. But that's we'll just stop talking. I I, I, I am sorry about but that. But I'm glad you brought up Tyree because a lot of people don't remember he went to Syracuse, and this was a guy who a lot of football players special teams is kind of their path. Yeah. To the NFL. To the NFL. So here, this guy is a special teamer, but makes the greatest catch in the history of the game. I I, I was going to say that it's it's probably the greatest catch ever, and and let alone in the Super Bowl, the stick in the helmet, Eli Manning not getting sacked, incredible play, and that nice Syracuse connection. It's just a. It's a feel-good story. So that's an oh yeah, but you know it's it's amazing when you think about how long these some of these things have been, and you know so we're talking what is that ten years ago? Yeah, ten years ago. That was ten that's, years ago. That's the thing. That's the oh oh yeah, Jeez. right? Where'd it go? Where where the time? I don't have any idea. It's gone. Right, but we'll keep track of it here at the OHA for sure. Sure, that's for sure will. That's for sure. So uh, you know, one of the other things we're trying to think about going forward is uh, is is really highlighting Black History Month here mm. again with athletics. And so one of the things we're going to be trying to do, I'm going to be working with somebody up at SU to try to get a little bit of an exhibit on Ernie Davis going with again being the first African American to win the Heisman Trophy. Um, and I believe that I believe SU has the trophy. Um, I'm pretty sure it, they it's do. in their collection. There, I think yeah. I've seen it. So we want to get something going with that. Get it out on social media again, just to keep telling the story, particularly as the SU football team. It looks like. Coach 
Dino's got us on the ascendancy. Um, you know, so that's another story that we're going to be working on and trying to and, – and really, again, talking about kind of like we would mentioned with Jackie uh, and obviously with Moses Fleetwood Walker, the things that they had to deal with, the, the viciousness, the, the anger, the hatred, the, the palpable seething hate just to get an education, just to play um, just to play a game that they loved, you know. When they did the Express, yeah. were you consulted for that? Did they come here and look for some I think that photos? they did. I yeah. was not on staff then. Oh, okay. I was actually at SU doing uh, – in my grad work. But uh, I do know that they did some research here at OHA because we've got pretty substantial, you know, files on those things. And uh, but yeah, when they did a great job with that film, by the way. Kind of off the sports subject, but just kind of a general question yeah. for you. You know, it's it's amazing how history gets looked at through the years, and we have never had more access to information than in this moment. That's true. How do you get those darn millennials to care about history more? Or is that a stereotype of mine? Like, do they care about history? Like, what do you think we're at with that? Trying to get people in a fast-moving society to take a moment yeah. and pause and say, wait, we, we, we don't know where we're going till we know where we've been. Uh, that's true, you know, and that's a point. I, you know, I teach, uh, I teach college students as well, so it's, it's a challenge that I deal with regularly. Uh, one of the things I think, you know, that there's a, there is a misconception. It's interesting to see that there is a... I don't know if love's the word, but there is a there's a there seems to be an increasing interest amongst twenty somethings in history. Um, particularly, like I notice it, you know, here in my gig at the OHA and dealing with a lot of the buildings that the that the young people are living in. So we're doing a lot of building branding. And what I find is that if I'm in a building, you know, and I put up an exhibit, I use the the Dietz lofts. Perfect example of this, right? Did a big installation there on the history of lanterns, which you say to yourself, history of lanterns could put me to sleep right now, right? But, but what you find out is that you get into the stories and then you find the stories either to the company or some of the merchandise and then the actual artifacts themselves, you put them out. We had an event there and I'd probably say maybe six, eight different people, young couples that lived in the building came by and just were, would just chatted me up about this company. They were just fascinated by by the stuff. So I think part of it is is the delivery. You know, obviously part of it too is 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 the what you're talking about. You know, I mean, like I give a talk on the brewing history of Syracuse, which is I've given it tons of times, and people love it. Right, like subject matter, I think really matters. One of the you know one of the lines I've, I've heard is, "Yeah, you got me there, by the way." Yeah, of course. Yeah, history of brewing. History of brewing in, in, in this city is fantastic. The Congress beer just came. Congress back. beer was huge. Was huge. It's yeah. selling like hotcakes. We're actually in the working on putting together a bruiseum right now. In fact, so this is another way we're going to try to get that younger uh, demographic. The bruiseum. When we've got that trademark. Oh yeah. Oh, it's going to be great. Yeah. It's going to be great. So I like this. So yeah, I mean, and that's something that you know I'm really cognizant of. Is I mean, I'm not old, but I'm 37 to use the Monty Python joke, right? Um, is that I like to try to get kids interested, whether they're my students or whether they're people coming in, or if I'm giving a talk out in the community, really trying to be engaging, entertaining. I mean, you, you're in the entertainment business. Yeah. You, you know you know what that is. You've got, to, you've got to be willing to sort of put yourself out there and, you know, get people, people to remember, you know, um, you, and therefore they'll remember yeah. what you're talking about. Just Joe is one of the best and busiest musicians in central New York. If you go on Joe's Facebook page twice a day, he'll give you a kick-ass cover of a great song. Just Joe sitting at his piano. 
Joe plays local gigs pretty much every day of the week. Maybe you've seen him at a local wedding. Maybe he's delivered you a lovagram. One way or the other, he's a voice that stands out in the Syracuse musical scene. And I was thrilled when he agreed to do the theme song for this podcast. Joe's also our first guest today on what we'll call the sound scene. We're teaming up with Kathleen Mason and K Mace Productions to bring you a conversation with a local musician every week. And our first guest is Just Joe. So you wrote our jingle and you are episode one, numero uno on the sound scene. (laughs) So tell me about writing the jingle. They're fun because they're a totally different monster than like writing a song for somebody, you know, and you think of intros and theme songs and they have the kind of, the lack of a better term, you got to have a kind of an 80s feel to it, 80s, 90s feel because that's, that's the vibe. And, uh, you know, you gave me, Mr. Axe gave me a couple of keywords and that was like, all right, what are we going to, what, what am I going to do with this? So I, and it was like, he kept thinking Bayheim, salt potatoes, snow. <laughs> and he goes, I was singing that over my head. I'm like, all right, I can, I can work with it. So my guy that I do a bunch of collaboration with, he does a lot of the programming. So I said, all right, this is what I need this. And, you know, leave where I would probably say stuff and all that and then we need a tail end at the end so he can talk over the end of it and uh and then I got it back and I sat with it for a day or two and I'm like all right and I just sat down my daughter's running around doing yoga behind me I'm like honey dad's gotta do something and I sit down at my desk and I just I do like a blah, da, 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 like over that and then I got a melody and then I just and it all came together in about 10 minutes oh I shot it over to him he added some gloss and everything else, you know, so. So there's a little bit of a template then. Yeah, there was. Kinda, there was so a template. Speak. But, I mean, you know, for what this podcast is going to be all about, you had to kind of hit on what Syracuse is about in, right. uh, like, 20 seconds. So I didn't, you know, hit those, you know, those points, you know, the snow, the weather, the, you know, Bayheim, you know, SG Sports, the food, and, you know. Music. Music, <laughs> yeah, and then the music all awesome. in general. So I it's like, yeah, it. so, you know. It's, there's a lot in this town is what you're trying to do, and this is what you're talking about on the show. So, okay, how do we at least just gloss over it real quick in 20 seconds? So, Well, brilliant. Thank you so much. No, it was awesome. I loved it. Um, so Piano at Five, Yeah. you've had a relatively long career now. Yeah. So give me a little bit of like a chronological rundown. Well, yeah, Piano at Five. Well, there was a piano in my house. My mom taught me how to play very you know chords and like scales but i quickly outgrew what she could teach me and then i took lessons up until i was like 16 from a guy and i grew up in something square and took lessons until i was 16 and then i just kind of did it on my own because i got busy with sports with high school i went to college to play football and all that stuff so music kind of got pushed aside but i kept playing it all the time and every time i would play it like parties because i would go to parties and Everyone wanted to drink beer, and I would bring my piano, and I'd sit down, and, and next thing you know, that would, I was like, wow, this is how I meet women. <laughs> this is how, you know, all the other guys are trying to impress them by doing keg stands. Right, yeah. And I'm over there singing a song. And they were like, you know, so I, I, you know, so it was a way, and everyone's like, why aren't you doing music for a living? I'm like, ah, what am I going to do with it? What am I going to do with it? So, so then I, I graduated from college. I didn't want to do, I went to college. I got a degree in history, minor in education. I was going to be a social study teacher and coach football. But they didn't. It didn't speak to me. So I kind of went on a journey for like five or six years and worked every job under the sun. 
and went back to school for recording and live sound engineering and then had an opportunity to join a band and that band eventually became brand new sin we mm-hmm. got signed you know and there was a whirlwind like i literally joined the first band I ever joined i had a record deal within the first month which is wow. very untypical yes, it is really <laughs> but it didn't mean that i didn't eventually put it in the work you know so we got signed in 2001 i left that band in 2008 seven years of touring pretty much but in that time i would come home from tours and play little piano shows to make money before we went back out so when i left brand new sin then i was like all right what am i going to do am i going to go back to school what am i what am i going to do and i was like looking at other guys in town like at that time you know, like michael Grisson and mm-hmm. and and dave hawthorne and tiger and um you know there's a handful of people in this town that were just full-timing it mm-hmm. i'm like i i can do this they can do this i can do this you know, so I'm, I set on that mission, and that was in 2008. Here we are in t- 2019. My career is almost 20 years, you know, professionally, almost 20 years into it, you know, and dabbling into it ever since I was younger. So it's it's been a long journey, and it was was not easy. And then to get to a point, I'm finally at a point where I can financially, you know, it's within the past 10 years I can financially support myself. And but that first 10 years was not pretty. <laughs> well, that's pretty. one of the things that drew me to talking to you because um, it's it's things that other people don't do which is which is what I like so the lovegram mm-hmm. which we're coming up on that yeah uh, February 14th yeah is next a week up. a week from yesterday that's right my husband had better be no I'm just kidding we, <laughs> you got him one last year right I did actually because I Mike and I ran I into did. each other I was doing one in I the know, emergency room for it. a for a nurse in the emergency room, and Mike yep. McKay was there doing one for her husband. I know, right? So it was, it was awesome. I did, and I love it. And people are still actually talking about you guys. So um, tell me what your most memorable love of grandma's, because I know. Easily. Okay. The, well, there's a lot of them, but the most memorable one is the most epic one. And my friend lives in Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. And he calls me, and he's like, I'm finally going to pop the question to his girlfriend. And they've been together for like 10 years. I'm like, all right, you know, what do you want me to do? He's like, how do I get you to Austin, Texas to play a song? I'm like, you can fly me to Austin for one song? Yeah, he goes, I want a lovegram. I'm like, dude, like, you want me on a weekend? I'm like, we have to push. We, so I had to push his engagement. He wanted to do it in May, and I had to push it to October because it was just, I didn't have time. And, and then he's like, well, I know you're going to be gone for the weekend. What's the cost? You know, you know name your price. I'll pay for the ticket, but name your price. I know you're leaving money on the table by going there. So we came up with a really good thing. I called a, a friend in Austin. I bought a bunch of friends in Austin. I'm like, I need a piano, just a crappy old little piano. I need it for this and all that. So I played a gig Friday night. I got up Saturday morning. I flew to Syracuse to Atlanta, Atlanta to Austin. Got to Austin. I took a nap. I walked down to a whiskey bar. My buddy met me there with the piano, and then... 20 minutes later, a bunch of other people that flew in for the engagement came. So I got texted. I walked over into the restaurant, big steakhouse in downtown Austin. And I walk up to the table. I'm like, I'm like hi, Lisa. And she's like, hey, Joe. And she's like, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? And I put the piano on the table. And she's like, her thing hits the floor. The restaurant just kind of all starts coming around, you know, a couple hundred people. What is What's happening? So I play Wicked Game by Chris Isaac, mm-hmm. which is her favorite song ever. I play that, and then he gets done, does a whole like little speech. She says yes. I get back 
to my room. We go out drinking for a little bit. We get back to my room. I get up at 8 o'clock. I'm on a plane at 9 o'clock. I'm back in Syracuse by 2 o'clock on, on, on Sunday. So what's up for you next? <laughs> what's coming? God, what isn't coming right now? <laughs> um, well, as I've gotten older, like I hit my 10-year plan. When I left Brand New Sin, I was like, all right, I'm going to find a way to make this my living and be, be successful at it. And I want to be the most successful at it. And it's not a competition thing. It's just the goal thing in my mind. It's like, I want to be the best. I want to play the most shows. I want to be, I want to be able to do more songs than anybody else. I want to make myself different than everybody else. And I did. I mean, I'm up to over 4,000 different cover songs. I've released, you know, what, between all my projects, like 11 original albums. So it's like, I've put it at work. So now it was like, okay, What's the next 10 years coming? Because I'm, I don't want to beat up the bar circuit. I'm getting almost a little too old to do that. I'm 45, so sometimes I'm playing for, you know, I don't want to play too late at night because then I'm playing for people that are, I'm old enough to be their father. So there's a little bit of a disconnect there. So, you know, and I don't want to try to keep chasing them by learning sure. the newer stuff sure. just to keep them. And some of them aren't really into live music. So I'm going a little bit earlier in my gigs. I'm staying with my, with my demographic. But I'm also diversifying all the different things that I'm doing. I started Just Joe events and weddings. So I've gotten into the wedding world. I partnered up with someone over there. Mm -hmm. I'm taking Lovegrams to another step, you know, so that's more of an all-year thing instead of just being, you know, just Valentine's Day focused. Um, I started doing advertising on my Facebook page. So, like, I just did it, you know, because someone's like, hey, can I advertise my business on one of your songs you do at night? I'm like, yeah. And then all of a sudden it started taking off. So now I'm doing two songs a day, and a, a local business will advertise on there, and I'll do a blurb and stuff like that. So that's kind of taken off. And um, I'm about to launch a Patreon. I don't know if anyone, if you're familiar with Patreon, I'm smart mm -hmm. to do that, to have a bunch of different things. I do custom CDs. I do custom songs. I've written wedding songs for people. People come to me like, I want my own wedding song. Okay, we sit down. We go through, like, we, I get to know the couple. They send me different emails. I write them a song. So their first dance is a custom-out song. So I'm, instead of just trying to just focus on making money on gigs, how are all these different ways that I can make money? Because there's a lot of people that are around the country and around the world that are fans of me that don't ever get a chance to see me. So how do, how do they get involved? How do I reach them? How do I get them to, you know, how do I monetize this and keep going? And then in the meantime... It's just to keep building on those things because I want to get to a point where I don't have to play 300 gigs a year. My daughter's getting older, and I don't want to start missing out on valuable time, and I find myself doing that now because, unfortunately, i got to work. But I want to get to a point instead of playing 300 gigs a year, maybe I'm playing 150 gigs a year. I'm doing more stuff that's centered around my studio, more online presence because that's where our society is going. Mm -hmm. Going back to that comedian saying we're five years away from leaving our house. So I'm trying to move with those times. So that's my goal over the next couple of years. Is to, and then I have a reunion show with my band, Brand New Sin, in May. Very cool. Where at is the that? At the Lost Horizon. We sold it out in 36 hours. Excellent. 600 tickets like, like that. So tell the folks where they can see you. They can find JustJoe.com is the easiest way to find all my information. I just had a new website built, and we're still tweaking it from day to day. All right, you can't you can't go yet. I have this one thing I have to do with you because you right. do a lot of fun stuff. What's on, that? On your uh, on your Instagram and on your Facebook, you always put out a question. So oh, I'm yeah. going to play a little game with you. Right on. This I is like called games. this is called 
rock band or racehorse? Okay. So you have to you have to figure out <laughs> if if this is a rock band or a racehorse. Are you ready? Yeah. So number one, Link to the Moon. Is it a rock band? Is it a racehorse? That sounds like a racehorse to me. You got it. Yeah, racehorse. Not, yeah. I, I actually thought I was going to stump you with that one. All right. Gomez. Rock band or racehorse? That sounds like a band to me. Yeah. Over two? Or two for two? Two for two. All right. Last one. Unconfessed. Rock band or racehorse? <sighs> it could be both. That would be both great names, but that's a toss-up. Can I ask the, Can I call a lifeline? <laughs> uh, I, I will go Race with... I will go with band. You ruined your perfect record. Uh, you should have called your I friend. Have, yeah. You should have called a friend. <laughs> <laughs> Racehorse, but that Race was great. Two that's for three, great that's 66%. Awesome. I pa- that's barely passing. But I love yeah. it, though. Perfect, perfect. Awesome. You were the perfect person to do this with. Yeah, that was fun. Was like, okay. And now, sounds from our next episode. A conversation with John Stage, the owner of the Dinosaur Barbecue. You can tell. You can tell good barbecue by the, by the feel. By the look, by the feel, look at the ribs. Just talk to them and try to understand what their process is because a lot of what we do, it's very strategic because you're looking to get fresh barbecue out during the course of a day, but you're cooking one thing for 14 hours, you're cooking another thing for, you know, your ribs four hours, but your brisket and shoulder up to 14. So you've got to predict the future. You'll also hear a conversation and the powerful brass sound from Melissa Gardner. That's next time on Stick to Syracuse. We thank you for listening to Episode 1. Don't forget to subscribe in iTunes, find us on SoundCloud, or on Syracuse.com. I'm Brent Dax. Until next time, has anybody seen Oscar from Switzes?